welcome to this episode of the VFX Show, where I'm talking to... Actually, this is kind of interesting. I'm actually talking to Jason Diamond, who, of all people, to talk about Gemini Man, maybe actually somebody uh, <laughs> interesting from a twin point of view to discuss. Hello, Jason. How are you, how are you doing? And also talking about Gemini Man is one half of the only half that I care about, Matt Wallen. How are you, Matt? <laughs> I'm really good. I'm one of many Matts, though, I will say. There are many of yes, us out are. there. We are actually going to have two mats on the show just to uh, confuse you, but uh, unfortunately one of them uh, couldn't get uh, free on time. But uh, a shout-out to, uh, to Matt L and, and hope that you'll join us soon. Hey, um, so we've looked at uh, Gemini Man for this week, and uh, this is a film that's very close to my heart because it involves lots of digital people and digital faces, and I, I love that kind of stuff. Um, but before we get into just how much I uh, am impressed with the visual effects of the film, I think we need to discuss the, uh, the film in general. And I've got a feeling that I'm going to get a bit burnt. So I'm going to start with you, <laughs> Jason. What did you think of the film? Uh, I, I will say that I'll break it down into several categories. The film, the script is garbage. It's pure, <laughs> pure garbage. It's like somebody... The script is like if somebody stepped in dog shit and then was like, whoops, I also stepped in dog shit <laughs> again. Uh, but, you know. Right. So, I, so I a, fairly, a fairly reserved opinion there from you. Yeah, well, okay. the, the, <laughs> the problem is, is they start shooting these movies without finished scripts and other things. But they have people like David Benioff, you know, from Game of Thrones and these big, big wigs on these movies. But I don't think anyone actually cares about the script. Because, you know, last week I saw Joker, and if you want to talk about somebody who really cared about a script, there could not be a more dramatic split between, you know, we're not going to talk about Joker, but at least in terms of, you know, someone who really cares, cared about all aspects of the movie. And I don't know what Ang Lee's focus was, but my guess is it was most likely on the tech. Uh, and from that standpoint, I was, I so just to clarify, I saw this in... 2K Dolby Stereo, 120 frames per eye, like the legit, like straight up full boat, only, you know, way it was shot minus the fact that it was shot, you know, in four plus K or whatever, but there's no projectors that will do that currently, or at least not in America. So I was mostly intrigued in seeing this as a technological feat, knowing that the script was probably dumb. Um, so I was, and, and, and then also because of the super high frame rate, which automatically makes at least me think about television and like daytime television, which is, I know is not fair because that was just, that's just a, a 2997 yeah. or 5994 look. I know I'm, I'm not comparing them specifically, but that's just, you know, from a, from a visual yep. language standpoint, that's what my brain says. So I have to fight my brain to be like, just you know, let it go and just try to experience it. Um, I was really intrigued and I actually found myself, you know, like enjoying certain moments in the super high frame rate to try and make myself, and also someone who works in VR a lot, which also wants to have much higher frame rates than 24 yep. for for obvious reasons, is something I've also had to get over for that. And when I worked on, you know, Invisible with Doug Lyman, you know, that's 60 frames a second. And so watching it, the final piece, or even dailies and stuff we were doing on set, I had to, like, like fight my brain to be like, it's okay, 
<laughs> don't it, it's a different thing and i and i think that this film is a different thing you can't take cinematic uh certain you know your 24 frame cinematic quote movie tropes and apply them to a 120 frame stereo scenario uh so okay we're just just okay so just i know that you're not very into <laughs> Enthusiastic to discuss this, but I'm going to park you there for just one second. Just put a pin in that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Technical. I, know, I'm gonna, I want to get I'm back. Just want to do the plot first. Uh, yeah, no, 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 no. It's all good. I, I, I applaud your uh, enthusiasm for uh, critique, but I would like to hear. I think what Matt has to say about the film. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so I, I saw it today, and I, I had the opportunity to see it either in 3D high frame rate or. Um, as the $7 Tuesday uh, movie in standard uh, projection. And mm -hmm. I chose the $7 option. And I, I was kind of curious to see the high frame rate. I sort of, I think it might've been interesting to check out you given what uh, you're saying, Jason. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was, <laughs> it was, it was terrible. It's a terrible movie. Like it's so, um, clunky and ham-fisted in terms of the 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 plot the storytelling the character motivations yeah the character sort of um morality is so like all over the map and just absurdly hilarious however there are a couple really fun action sequences in it that you know i think uh are fairly well executed and i do think that in in some places, the digital uh, stuff is it's pretty spectacular, and in a couple places, it's kind of tough. And I think one of the reasons, well, we can get into some of the specifics of how and why, but overall, like it's it's not a great movie, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Mike. so I I had a choice of seeing it high frame rate or not, but not seven dollars. <laughs> it cost me a lot more than seven dollars, um, but. I chose to see it at 24 frames a second because I was really interested in the faces and the only way I can judge the faces and the quality is to judge that and not be judging it in the context of 120 frames. I didn't enjoy The Hobbit at 120 frames because I was like looking at well, that was 48. the high frame rate stuff. Sorry? Well, okay, but, okay, but sorry. But you're absolutely yeah. right. You're right. It was 48. I apologize. But I mean, I didn't enjoy looking at it in stereo no, in a higher frame yeah. rate. Um, so what I decided to do was go and watch it at 24 frames a second uh, and just ignore that aspect of it because I'm really interested in the quality of being able to do, uh, you know, digital faces. And that was mm -hmm. just the thing for me, right? So, so it wasn't – I went for Cheap Tuesday. Uh, I went for uh, – <laughs> and, and the other thing I, I find is that I do agree with you. Like high frame rates are like super important in VR and I think appropriate. I've got to say at the moment my, my sort of opinion is that my idea of seeing a film is sitting down, not wearing funny glasses, because um, I, I wear glasses normally yeah. in a cinema. So I, I want to wear like funny my normal ones. glasses, but not not <laughs> particularly funny. Um, they, they don't spell out spell out anything or, or have heart shapes or anything. No, no, they're they're just normal glasses. But my point is, I want to just wear those and sit there and be able to look at my wife, like look at the screen, um, just to act normally. What I wanted to do was just judge what those faces look like up on the big screen, properly projected with a uh, good, you know, um, quality uh, projection system, but just not at the higher frame rate and uh, and with uh, any kind of stereo stuff. The other thing is, you know, like in all the, if you were going to discuss this film, like all three of those things are, I think, 
somewhat able to be separated. I think you can, in fact, separate that the plot was formulaic from the high frame rate stereo stuff from the digital humans. I think those are three. Yeah. They obviously overlap, but I think you sure. can kind of separate those three things. Yeah, um, absolutely. I, I wasn't so harsh on the plot as you guys because I guess I didn't have super high expectations. Um, but what I did think was it was just a normal kind of, you know, kind of action-y plot thing that wasn't very substantial. But I certainly didn't hate it the way you guys did. There are some <laughs> films where I literally want to leave the cinema. I'm like, I just, I want to get out. By the way, before we go on, I just want to say one thing about The Joker. We may do a whole show about The Joker, but I just read this thing about The Joker which I thought was just so brilliant. It was like, um, so do you guys remember when the original Batman was with the original Joker with... Um, yep. Was Nicholson was, uh, or or the yeah, TV Nicholson, show? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, Nicholson. yep. It was mm-hmm. like what eighty? No, it was like ninety nine. Ninety. Was it eighty nine? Eighty nine. Oh, it was eighty nine. Yeah. Anyway, I saw this brilliant thing. It said, "Want to create a Joker in nineteen eighty nine? Drop him in a bucket of vat of acid. Want to create yep. a Joker in twenty nineteen? Drop him in society." <laughs> I was just like so harsh. Well, pretty good. So true. To be fair, just um, to clarify, the actual Joker's origin is in a vat of acid. So. Okay, but you the get comic the comic book right? origin. But yes. Yes. Agreed. Um okay, so let's get let's 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 park our like I and I mean, you know, I was super critical of other films for their plot holes. And <laughs> and my major problem with this one was was I guess my my two issues here. One, I just thought it absurd that they flew all the way over to wherever they flew to. I think it was Europe. Um only to get on a plane and fly all the way back to America again. Yeah. It was just like, yeah, it was just like, <laughs> that seemed a little um, unnecessary. And then the second thing was uh, there was this real ethical kind of vacuum over whether or not somebody who was a clone was a real person or not. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, this, this would have been a really rich vein to mine, um, you know, how... how uh, how valid is it to say that, you know, somebody that was created through uh, the genetic reproduction from a single person as opposed from a coupling of, of two people, you know, is or isn't any more worthy of uh, recognition under the law or for that matter, just being recognised as a person with, um, if you believe in them, souls and kind of a, you know, uh, separate consciousness that deserves to be. And then when, when they kind of not dealt with that enough, they then went to the idea that you would genetically remove pain and yeah. remove... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and that 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 was like a sort of a huge leap over just uh, cloning that's technology. Some, that's some universal soldier shit. Like yeah, but, Dolph but you know, like... style. Like you could argue that <laughs> cloning with Dolly the Sheep would allow the audience to believe that human cloning had been possible, but... Mm-hmm. The fact that you would even know how to genetically alter somebody so as to create a person that didn't have a kind of yes. consciousness or a pain center just seemed an absurd leap in one jump. And then the other thing about that that I found really annoying um, is a visual thing, which sort of segues back to the visual effects. But you know how much I hated Spider-Man when he was just swinging in yes. unrealistic pendulum type ways? So because you've affected somebody's genetics, it doesn't seem they should be sort of suddenly a superhero and able to jump small buildings mm-hmm. in a single bound. Yeah. And and that just suddenly, like, I, that's when I, I really did sort of go from, okay, this is just a sort of popcorn Saturday morning movie to, oh, I'm annoyed with you now because suddenly a super agent superhero suddenly appeared and there was no <laughs> contextualization that we lived in a world of superheroes. It was just suddenly... Can um, I... 
can I point out yeah, that your your whatever that was two minute sort of assessment of plot points in the movie is probably more than anyone on the entire story team of Gemini Man has thought about the plot. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's my that's my assessment. Okay, <laughs> so let me let me reframe um, the discussion to visual effects. Yes. And say that when I walked out, my number one sentiment was, um, I can't wait to see what Weta Digital does with the next Avatar films. Because it seemed to me that we had such a really brilliant leap in realistic rendering of uh, humans that, uh, and Ang Lee, I think, is a real hit and miss director. Like he has produced films that I've loved and films that I've yep. like sort of looked at sideways and wondered what, what went wrong. Um, but I don't do that with Cameron, yeah? So right. uh, if Weta is able to pull off this kind of face stuff with some obviously earlier Fast and Furious and now with some, you know, lightweight Gemini man, uh, you know, give this to one of the world's greatest directors and I just can't wait to see what he can do with it. What do you right. guys think? I mean, uh, you know, being the only one who took the expensive leap into the 120 frames <laughs> per second, I, 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 to your point about directors, I have to say that I think, much like I think I said about the second Planet of the Apes movie, or maybe it was the third one, no, it was the, whatever, one of the ones we did that opens on Caesar's face full, you know, close-up and ends yep. on full yep. close-up, like, that you got to have fucking huge balls as a director to say, I believe in the technology this much to allow people to stare at CG for that long and, you know, hope they don't see the man behind the curtain. And in this case, I also think, especially at 120 frames a second, stereo, that Ang Lee has huge balls to do like a five-minute emoting scene where Will Smith, the real Will Smith, is in the frame and the younger fake Will Smith, the digital double head, is in the real is in the frame and the and the double is right in a close-up and emoting the entire time. Like, even if it doesn't work fully, which it didn't, that is a that is like, I applaud him for having the balls to be like, I don't give a fuck. Everyone's going to stare at this and I don't care because we're going to try to make it work. And even if it doesn't, we've, we've died on the pole here and, you know, gone to bat for what we think is doable. Um, so I, I, that impresses yeah. me just when you can feel the director being like, just chill and check this out for a second. Uh, and let me know what you think. You know what I mean? Almost. It's like they're conversing with you. Um, I do I think mean, that he focused way more on the tech than he did on the story, obviously. Um, yeah. I mean, it's really hard to believe that this is the same director that did Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, yeah. Brokeback Mountain and Hulk, the 2003 version. Um, and Cold, you know, like, and Life Cold, of Pi. Uh, and, War or whatever the, yeah. Yeah, like it's it's a really... I don't know. Like, it's just not, it's not a ticket sale for me to know it's an Ang Lee movie. It's a, I, I'll check it out. But it's yeah. not a, a slam dunk. Like, you know, you, you say to me that Clint Eastwood did it and, like, I don't even need to know any more than that. I'll go and see the movie just to check it out. Um, and, and a bunch of other directors, right? Like, um, and some directors, all, you know, miss and I still think they did a really super valid attempt. Um, but, yeah, he's just, he's just uh, 
oddly, and you know, like Life of Pi, obviously some people in the visual effects community were very upset with what he said at the Academy Awards and about wanting it to be cheaper and stuff. And mm-hmm. But leaving that aside for a second, like it was an incredibly good film. I mean, Life of Pi was a technically excellent and directorially well-executed film that, you know, just... I yeah, loved. it had a good script and a good story. Yeah. An incredibly good story. Yeah, I mean... So, I mean... So... The, 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 I mean, I'm, you can speak about the faces much more eloquently than I can, but really the thing that, if we want to just go right to the face for a second, the, th- the thing that's interesting is, you know, you have movies like Rogue One that has the digital Gramoff Tarkin, but he's the only digital character and he's not a clone of somebody. It's just a character. So if you didn't know, like a lot of people walk out and they're like, they're like, wow, that guy was really interesting. And they don't know he's a digital because there's no reference. In this case, you're told like pretty much straight out, no, that's a clone of that guy. And it's obviously not the same guy. Even if you don't know who Will Smith is, that's an older guy. That's a younger guy. So like you're making yep. your job twice as hard to tell the, for the, tell the audience, hey, just so you know, this isn't real, but watch it yep. anyway. Um, and... For me, the thing that really didn't work, at least facially, is the upper lip. There was a weird thing with the way it bent. And I know Will Smith has kind of a funny mouth if you really, like, stare at it, which I ended up doing to try and compare, which I don't normally, would not normally do watching a Will Smith movie. Um, But there was a weird sort of stretchy upper lip thing uh, and teeth thing that sort of threw it off being real. But the eyes were really good and the, the... sort of, you know, facial emotion and rendering was good. I mean, again, you, you'll, you'll have way more minutiae to talk about it than I will. But I didn't, it didn't bother me. There were other physics things with the fight scenes and things that you were talking about, the way the guy was seemingly superhuman or could do certain things. That, but those are animation uh, things, not rendering things. Yeah. Well... Uh, Okay, so, gonna, so I, let's just I, I, sorry, just before we go, I just want to set something for the people that are listening. Yeah, to yeah. be super clear about this, the young Will Smith is a digital version of Will Smith, not a uh, a facial de-aging process as we saw in the Marvel films. So if you haven't sort of caught up, um, we've got a story coming up on FX Guide. If you haven't caught up with the, how it was done, just to set it up, it is a fully digital. So Jason's reference there to uh, Star Wars and Tarkin is a very good one because it was a digital face in the same way that uh, Princess Leia was versus in Marvel when we saw, um, and we've discussed this on the show, uh, Lola VFX doing de-aging through compositing where they get um, bits of skin and they remove wrinkles and they composite back on and basically have the same actor but sort of manipulated through compositing to get a, uh, a younger looking face. Now, that work, uh, starting with uh, Skinny Steve, produced uh, amazing stuff for Marvel, just beyond belief. But it's a completely different approach than what um, what Weta took with uh, doing the young uh, Will Smith. But I didn't mean to interrupt you there. I, I just wanted to uh, clarify if people weren't no, on I mean, the same you're, page. Yeah, I mean, that makes... Yeah, sorry. I, I uh, made some assumptions there about what people may or may not know about this movie. Um I would I would leave it to you, quite frankly, to talk about the facial animation stuff. But my mine was just more about usage and the way that they framed the shots to really, honestly, highlight 
that character a fair bit. Like they, they didn't put him in the background and say, oh, he's going to be a, you know, sort of let's just try to blend him in. Like that character was the, 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 the younger Will Smith character was a front and center character in almost every scene he was in where he w- didn't have a helmet or was, you know, wasn't an action scene. Um, which again, I, I sort of applaud as like, I mean, this whole movie seems like a giant exercise, really expensive exercise of let's see if we can do stuff that, and that we don't, can't normally do and see if we can make it work. High frame rate, digital face of a well-known actor, you know, uh, blah, blah, blah. And so I sort of, again, applaud it for, for the attempts. They're not all successful, but that doesn't mean that you can't applaud the attempt. Um, but I, again, I'll leave it to you to discuss the minutia of the of the animation and all the face stuff. I think you had a point you wanted to make, didn't you, Matt? Well, I was just thinking, you know, listening to you guys talk about uh, w- with specificity the idea of it being a, really a digital uh, face, like it's a it's an all digital, you know, face of the young Will Smith, and I I sort of felt like watching it. Um, there's a couple of places where I think it fails uh, really badly, but overall, uh, through most of the movie, when uh, we see the character in uh, a lot of low light situations with like sort of a raking light going across the face mm-hmm. or um, heavy shadow on one side, and I think the even the scene you're talking about with the the heavy sort of um, emoting that's going on, I actually think. I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm going to say it. I think this is the best digital face, uh, 3D face that I've seen in a major motion picture to date, Um, except for um, I think the scenes at the end in broad daylight at the university where I think those don't work. And I I think there's a couple reasons why uh, I I felt like they didn't work. One is I think it's not the lighting so much as... um, I think the uh, the expressiveness of the character, the smiling, the facial expressions, they don't function the same way as some of the more brooding uh, facial expressions early on. And I actually think, weirdly, the sort of clunky script and the clunky dialogue mm-hmm. uh, actually kind of helps in a way because the actual live actors... And I, I, this sounds like I'm joking, but actually, I, I really think this is true. The live actors at times sound so wooden uh, and their performances are fairly stiff that I actually think it makes the 3D performance <laughs> come to life in a way. It, That's and, funny. Or, and, and or it actually kind of fits in sort of uh, with the film in a way that, uh, that stylistically the, the digital uh, Will Smith matches the other Will Smith. Now, I, I mean, I like Will Smith, but I don't really think of him as like, he's, he's not like a, a great actor in my estimation. Like, I don't know that I've ever seen him do uh, an amazing performance that really rocked my socks off. He's fun to watch, but I, I you know, I think uh, him, he, he's, he doesn't have a super broad range. And I don't know that the, I think that that in a weird way helps the performance of the digital face. And I thought all the things that they were getting, all the small muscle movements, um, uh, the eye movements, 
um, the the glancing, the sort of like the kind of sense of like that there was some inner thought going on in mm-hmm. some of the scenes in the character I thought was really working. And I, I mean, really for my money, I think it's, I thought it was better uh, than Tarkin. I thought it was better than Leia. Um, it's of course, as you said, Mike, totally different than the, the Lola de-aging techniques. Um, I'd be, I'm really curious now to see uh, and compare it with the work that was done for the Irishman. Um, oh, if, right. there, if there are some elements in the Irishman that are fully digital, which I believe to be the case, uh, I'd really like to see that and compare this with that. I, there are moments in this where I thought it was incredibly convincing and incredibly successful. And I think uh, it, to me at times felt pretty exciting as a, as a technological um, breakthrough. The visual effects were, were strong um, overall with a few exceptions. Yeah, but, in, but interestingly to what you're saying, Matt, now I, although I don't know if I could sit through it again, I, kind, I would be interested to see it at 24 frames where I'm not distracted by the high frame rate and just looking at, at as a movie because I was looking at literally five times the temporal information that than you guys were. Um, well, by the same in, token, though, I, I'd love to see the high frame rate version just to see if there's like a higher fidelity or a, a greater level of... Yeah, uh, it being able to sort of convince me of the reality of the performance, like maybe there are subtleties and things that I didn't see, uh, not right. seeing it at that, you know. So yeah. I, I, I kind of feel the same way, although I don't know that. I, I think even <laughs> another seven dollars might be a little bit much <laughs> for me. Um, so I, I want to agree with you. I think that right now, as it stands, because obviously the Irishman isn't out, I I haven't. Like I, I'm very much looking forward to the Irishman, and I think ILM mm-hmm. is uh, terrific. But let's take um, the Irishman off the table because I can't judge it because I haven't seen it. Though I have to say, like the trailer doesn't make me contradict this next statement. I think Weta has the most um, advanced and the most effective, and the most impressive uh, face pipeline in the world, and they stand um, apart from the other great work that is being done by companies like MPC and, and ILM. But at the moment. Uh, they own it, and I think that <clears throat> I think that the level of complexity that we're seeing um, there are. I totally agree. The outside shot at the end doesn't work. I don't think mm-hmm. it works. Um, but I'd almost go so far as to say, I want to sort of like discount that either somebody else did it or some other reason <laughs> why. But if we leave that aside for a second, yeah. And, and I agree. I don't think it's a lighting thing. I think it's just some other reason. But the. Um, all the other stuff, like the the stuff with um, the characters, is so good. It's it's actually kind of almost hard to believe what you're looking at. Like I was staring at young Will Smith doing some stuff, and I I, mean, I knew what I was looking at, and I'm trained in the art. And I'm like, if somebody asked me to put notes on this, I just couldn't give you anything of any real consequence. Like there were some tiny things that I would not even know whether what I was saying was. You know, if you look look at a word that's perfectly spelt long enough, you start mm-hmm. thinking it's spelt wrong. Mm-hmm. Like it was that yeah, kind sure. of thing where I'm like, you know, I don't even know if what I'm saying is uh, like I'm thinking about, in my case, it was moisture around the eyes. Um, right. And I was saying, mm-hmm. oh, that kind of looks not quite like the viscosity of tears. And then I'm like, well, do I know that? No. You know, like I'm just kind of... Right. Uh, but it certainly didn't take me out of the film. It didn't look like... Um, you know, like it, it, it was spectacularly good. I mean, just incredibly good. And I do think that a lot of stuff 
uh, that was done by Lola is exceptionally good. But a bunch of stuff that uh, even mm. Lola has done, and I've gone on the record as saying I think they're just the best compositors in the world and I'd happily drink their bathwater. You bath say water. you drink their bathwater, yeah. <laughs> I did, yeah. But, but here's the thing, right? Like there are shots of their de-aging. Uh, I'm thinking now um, in the last Captain Marvel film uh, when mm-hmm. um, they're back underground at the uh, data centre and they bust into a lift well and it looks up at Agent Coulson. The Agent Coulson de-aging there was, in my opinion, less successful as a compositing solution than Will Smith in this film. If we leave out that last bit and the outside, you know, whatever, then I would say Mm -hmm. without a doubt they were just like, you know, just really superior. Um, And and I've got to say, like, it's, it's incredibly hard to do at the level that Wetter has been pulling it off. Like, it's not, like, just a bit hard. Um, I can actually give you a couple of things because I, I had a chance to talk to the Wetter team about how they did it. And I give you this just by way of uh, an example of the level of complexity that this team is dealing with, right? So when we're talking about um, the eyeballs of the young Will Smith, like, obviously, you know, there's a lot of things going on there. They're modelling the back surface of parts of the eye that are non-reflective to avoid light bouncing around inside the eye, in the human eye, and deforming that in a way that's caused by the pressure of pushing the actual eyeball into the eye socket while the eyelids are causing effects uh, at the top of the eye from the actual compression as they wrap around the, the, um, the eyelid. And so, hmm. like, the... The subtlety that that is, and that's like, you know, 10 pixels high, um, gives you these spectacularly believable eyeballs, um, mm-hmm, totally. which are, you know, like we look at that and I, don't, I haven't heard any of the three of us criticise the eyes. I think you made a comment about the lips, no. but leaving that aside for a second, like the eyes, it's just, you know. No, the eyes it's are... It's like so good. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's like... Uh, ridiculously um, finessed kind of uh, reconstruction of eyes. Now, what I like about Wetter is that they got here from the work they did on uh, Leader Battle Agent, uh, Angel, and, uh, you know, like mm-hmm. obviously other films before it, and like they're continuing to build each time. But, um, but their eye models are off the dial complex. And the skin textures, uh, they are like growing the pores of the skin now. So if you haven't sort of caught up with that, so the normal idea is you do a um, ICT scan and you get um, the specular and the uh, diffuse separated and because light hasn't gone into the skin, the specular bounces obviously off the surface, the way that it defines the surface is really precise and it's not diffused by being subsurface scattered. And so if we can just get that specular reflection and use it to do the photogrammetry, we get this lovely, beautiful skin texture and we can go in and do, as I've had done on my face, like these super high-res patches to get really amazing detail. And Weta did all of that and then they went and actually wrote software to effectively grow the pores on the digital face so that they could get the correct way that the pores would uh, form uh, to have the kind of correct way that they would stretch and move and be... um, uh, kind of distributed across the face at a level of like complexity that's just mind-numbing. And there are vector fields that define this. Um, there are force fields that define obviously how the muscles work. 
There are deep shapes, which is a new um, addition to the toolbox of actually being able to uh, manipulate sort of below the surface properties that then are reflected up through. So it's deep shapes as in deep into the skin texture, not deep as in mm -hmm. decompositing. Um, and, and so all of this is just adding to their toolbox to produce what, I, as I said, like I think is just like just jaw-droppingly good work. Um, and it's, it's not let down in any area. Like it's not let down by the digital clothes. It's not let down by the digital hair, the um, fine hair, the, the backlighting, the, um, like his actual um, hair on his head, which obviously we don't tend to like look at that much because we sort of think of hair as being done. But like the way that the hair meets the front of the um, actual scalp is like, often quite uh, quite a giveaway, right? Because it's like, how does it grow out of the skull? It's mm -hmm. like, you know, it looks good mm -hmm. on a thing, but when you actually like look at it, it looks like hair plants or plugs or, you know, all sorts yeah. of horrible things. And and each of these details from clothing to, to um, you know, fine um, sweat uh, forming on the, you know, and around the uh, the forehead when he's, uh, you know, under pressure. It's just, I mean, I am I am in complete awe of like how good this is. Uh, that's just obviously my take, but man, you know, I think it's just so good. One well, of the so things it makes, it, one of the things ahead, it makes me think about is just, uh, you know, we're talking about how uh, largely this uh, face, digital face, is very successful, right? Um, and one of the reasons we know it's a digital face is uh, that it's Will Smith, and uh, of course, all the sort of PR that's gone on with regards to this. Um, sort of technology that's in the movie, which is cool. It's fun. It's they're sort of, um, they're selling it and they're kind of celebrating, uh, the success of the, the team, uh, that did the work, which is great. You know, I don't, I don't have any problem with that at all, but I think what would be a really interesting test of this kind of technology would be, um, to sort of think of it in the same way that we talk about how many uh, sort of invisible visual effects there are in so many things that you see uh, that you, a, an average audience member would never know, or even I would never know it was a visual effect, like um, removing uh, uh, wheelchair access ramps from uh, parking curbs for Mindhunter, so it's period correct, right? Which is just absurd, but you'd never know it if you didn't watch the visual effects reel. Um, it would be really interesting to see a film with a, a character that's done in this way where you'd know nothing about it. And maybe there's some reason they do it, but you wouldn't know who the actor was. And like, if you were watching it and you had no idea who it was or that it was a digital person and it was done this well, would you know it? That's the thing I think well, no, would be see, interesting. See, and, well, and can I just say an adjunct to that? Sorry, but an adjunct to that is... If you didn't celebrate the technology and you just had an actor that it was either his son or uh, his brother's son that looked very much like him, would the film have been any better or worse from a filmmaking point of view? And the thing is, the only thing going for the film is the spectacle of watching Will Smith, right? Like if you had mm -hmm. told an audience that that was Will Smith and another guy they found that looked like Will Smith, then there's just no reason well, in, to go in, see the film. In practice, well, what I'm suggesting doesn't make any sense. I'm speaking purely sort of theoretically, like is, is part of why uh, we, it's successful, but it has, you know, we can sort of pick out and think about issues in it because we know it, right? I, that's all I'm saying is there a degree to which if you didn't know, 
Right, uh, right. I guess it's, well, so that's it's more, more of a hypothetical thing. Well, that's what I was saying before about Tarkin versus this one is that we're, we were basically saying the same thing, is that in this case, you have to know that it's digital because it, there's just no other way to really get around it. And so thus you celebrate it. Like Mike was saying, you just, you, and, and you were saying, Matt, you just make it part of the thing. But I agree with Matt in that I would also like to see a fully digital, at least face, on a character in a movie without anyone talking about the technology. And I think we've seen that, and that is that Tarkin really was that. Because unless you were a Star Wars fan, you didn't know Peter Cushing was dead. You don't know who Tarkin is. And there were I heard people in the theater talking to their friends afterwards and saying, oh, no, that guy was... Uh, you know, that guy, whatever. And they'd be like, what, which guy? Oh, that guy. That, no, that guy was like, they had no idea that was a digital person. Yeah. And, but I mean, and we, so, we've seen that, that in that's films cool. where, we've seen that in films, like there was a, The Last Hunger Games, right? Where they had to, you know, uh, put in scenes and that, right. I, actually I would say that over the Fast and Furious as well. Like they didn't tell yeah, you in Fast and Furious yeah. which, mm. which shots of Paul Walker were. And so for most people, they watched it and they didn't sort of go, I really appreciate this film because that's a digital Paul Walken. They kind of knew right. that there were some shots in there somewhere um, and it was super hard to tell. But, but here's the thing, right? Do you judge this film by that? Like, like what, in my opinion, I don't know this for a fact, but like why the hell did Weta do Abraham Lincoln Vampire Slayer in 2012? Like it's just the dumbest film, this side of a dumb film. <laughs> and yet they allowed them to develop their deep pipeline that right, they would go on to use I mean, in The Hobbit and a bunch of other things, right? right. So I mean, George Lucas you know, did like, that for years. He would make movies for people just so that he could say, yeah, I'll do, you know, ILM will do this for you, but we have to, you know, we have to be able to accomplish X, Y, and Z. Do some in R&D. Movie. Yeah, yeah, sure. As get paid for R&D. And to your point, yeah. Mike, about the growing pores and all that kind of thing and the way that they have to basically become... Uh, biologists or whatever, you know, to, or doctors, you know, anatomists to be able to um, make a head goes back to our discussion way back about the movie 2012 when we were talking about the, how in order to do the proper destruction simulation, <clears throat> the the animators had to break buildings, you know, in very specific spots, like they were demolition experts you know, so that when the structures fell, they fell appropriately, which made them look real uh, and made the physics work. And so it, I always find this interesting. And I, and I know that Weta did that for for Planet of the Apes, where they grew forests, you know, you know, uh, I think we talked about well, that on that. Yeah. You know, they were. Yeah, digitally. one of the most exciting, such an exciting thing about visual effects are the challenges that, you know, you're, you're confronted with on a given project that lead to... Uh, having to engage in whole vast areas of research in yeah. order to sort of try to replicate or recreate or destroy or whatever it might be. And yeah. so I think that's one of the things about it that keeps it so interesting and exciting is um, not just the technological breakthroughs and, you know, it may be a fun film, but also sort of the tangential things that, um, and research that has to be done in order to yeah. do something really well. And And what you're describing, Mike, with regards to, you know, all the growing of the pores and the uh, pressure of the eye socket and the ball uh, and the mm -hmm. eye changing shape or whatever. I mean, that all that kind of stuff is just, 
you know, it's just well, fascinating to dig that deep in order to create and replicate, um, you know, something uh, that's real. That's my point. The thing that I find fascinating is that, you know, you say, well, there has to be a, you know, um, programmatic or some other, you know, way to create a human face. But in reality, the only way to make a human face is the way that a human face is actually made. Right? Like uh, you, yes and no. Have, I mean, I mean no, within no, no, reason. That, that, I'm just saying no, no, within but, reason. No, no, but, no, no, but wait for a second because you're saying that, right? But, but think about what you're actually saying, right? The way a human face is made is with cells and photons bouncing right. off cells and stuff. Right. And we don't do that. We, we do a mathematical simulation based on as accurate a mathematical model as we dare go. But like, like Will Smith in this scene, and I was kind of surprised to know this, but Will Smith's uh, junior doesn't have a flesh sim on him when he's riding on a motorbike and stuff. Like even though, of course, the flesh would be affected by the inertia and stuff. Right. Weta doesn't do that because you just, they don't think you notice it. It's not like they've, they've, like I understand what you're saying in one sense, like you're trying to get more and more medically accurate, but we're way short of actually making a face the way a face well, is of made. Course. Which is, of course. But I'm just saying that the approach in terms of what you were saying, like you get an eyeball, you make the back of the eyeball, you know, have different refractions or reflections so that it is affected by the pressure of the, you yeah. know, all that stuff. I mean, that's all seeming, I'm not an eye doctor, but it seems logical <laughs> to that's how an eye works. I know that when they, when we talked about the Hobbit and we talked about um, Gollum's eyes and the way reason he looked different there versus Lord of the Rings is because they actually fill his eyeballs with fluid in the sim to make the light bounce around in there, you know, the way it would with the, you know, the fluid and the pressure the in your eyeball. Yeah. And the caustics. Yeah. So it's like, you know, that's, I'm just getting towards that. But now again, we have to go back to the high frame rate because, you know, they're doing five times the amount of work in stereo, uh, to make this, you know, uh, happen. And, the decisions they're making at 120 frames stereo with all the implications of light that comes with that because you're two and a half, three stops over or under rather because of the higher frame rate, you know, all the nighttime stuff are, uh, is day for night. You know what I mean? Because you, there's no way you could light. I mean, there's a few day, nighttime exteriors, but a lot of them, like when they get on the boat, uh, him and Mary Elizabeth Winstead, like that's totally day for night. It works because you're already yeah. two and a half stops down, <laughs> much you know, before you even get to your filtration. Um, but then how that affects, you know, they have to, you know, the 24 frame extraction is from the higher frame rate. So they have to do all the work at the right stop level and sort of, you know, management of light coming through the lens uh, to the digital to the visual effects before they even then do, you know, motion blur extractions and all the other things they do down to the 24. Yeah. I mean, the, the motion blur is obviously a huge factor, but obviously you're going to have high frame rate. It's going to have much less motion blur, which you yeah. then reintroduce in the version that we saw. And I did see yeah. in the fight sequence some stuff that looked, I mean, it was a, they did a three-dimensional motion blur. They don't do any 2D motion blur in this film. Nevertheless, it still felt to me slightly odd motion blur. That's the only artifact that I picked up of the 24 version that looked like it had come from something higher frame rate. Right. But, but can I just make one other point, which is if you look at like just three years ago at BFG 
at that digital character versus mm, mm-hmm. this. Yeah. Like three years. Oh, my God. Like that is just, I mean, if if BFG was produced today, you'd be like, Weta, what happened? Did you go on holidays and hire somebody else to do the job? I mean, I didn't feel that way when it came out. I didn't love it, but I mean, I didn't like just, it wasn't like jaw-droppingly like odd. Whereas today that would be three years ago's work. It would be jaw-droppingly odd compared to this. This is, you know. Yeah, that's um, a great point. And so, so I think, I think, and also the other thing about the, because I made this point to, um, to, to one of the weather guys when I was talking to him for the interview. It was like, oh, well, you know, what about the animation? Did it affect it being at the higher frame rate? And he was like, well, we always have lots of extra keyframes above 24 frames a second for motion to get it right. So really, and then, you know, in terms of rendering, like, yes, it's a lot more frames, but in a sense, like it's a, as if it's the film's a lot longer, right? Like it's right. it's like mm-hmm. they've made a six or eight hour movie as opposed to a two hour movie because, you know, you are rendering a lot more frames. But in reality, like if you're solving skin pore textures, that's solved no matter what the frame rate is. Yeah. Um, so I, I grant you it's a heck of a lot of data, especially in stereo, like ridiculous amounts. And, and the wetter, when wetter <laughs> render farm probably produced enough heat to uh, to heat all of Wellington, but but the lighting it, the lighting stage must be different. No, I mean I the, guess because they're not dealing with physical lights, I guess they can just crank it up. Oh, it's going to be at this lumens or whatever, right? In the pipeline. I, yeah, I mean obviously you're shooting at at lower light because just the shutter isn't open yeah. as much, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, there are. You know, there are a whole lot of other aspects to that, like the just solving the stereo on set and actually doing things mm-hmm. with, with cameras where they did like on steady cams, which is all advanced a lot. Um, but I guess for me, like that, that would be a good conversation that I would have, except for it's just dwarfed for me by the the physical prowess of the faces. And by the way, can just one other thing. I, I mean, I'm, this is faces is my thing, baby. But <laughs> the, the other mm-hmm. thing is the the gate. And the walk and the movements of Will Smith Jr. are the gait and walk and movements of a younger man. It didn't feel to me like we had a younger... Like sometimes in, um, in the Marvel stuff when they do a younger person, I feel like their movements are just not... And, and they've had to do a lot of body work on those, for example. So if you've got... Um, uh, who plays Fury? Um, you know, um, oh, Nick Fury Sam Jackson. Is, um, yeah, Samuel, Samuel Jackson. Jackson yeah. He, when he walks around the back of the autopsy table and forward in Captain Marvel, they had to do extensive work to straighten his back and to right. adjust his body so that he had a gait that was better. But it still, to me, felt a bit like he wasn't a sprightly young chap. Um, there was no point here that I felt like uh, um, that Will Smith's digital body double was anything but a, a really good um, moving 23-year-old, except for when they went to superhero mode and, and he started like, you know, leaping around upside down and spinning on a... Well, and on and a, I would argue, a, except for that uh, scene at the end at the university, I also thought that that was one of the things mm. that uh, made it stick out too was some of the... The, the body movement and the gait and the sort of deformations of the the upper body uh, and he he sort of was sort of bow legged the way he was walking yeah. I mean they're just parts and the of facial it, hair. it looks so 
it was goofy looking. I don't know. There's something about the body too. That no, I thought I, was I'm with you, and, and I am in total denial. I want to. I want to deny. I'm a. I, de- <laughs> I, I deny that that scene existed in my main. In my, I blotted it. Yeah. Out. Like I am. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm like a um, climate denial guy. I just refuse to acknowledge that that scene was in the movie. Can, um, can you clarify when when the digital? Uh, well. How much of the younger Will Smith was digital? Did they have a real actor? It felt to me like there was a real actor that had a head or face replacement, not a fully digital character except for stunts and things like that. No, so, so the process was uh, they had, um, so it's, it's a little bit complicated, they had uh, Chase Anthony who was an actor who was standing in to provide textural skin stuff for digital, uh, we're going to call him Junior, and let's by, go by their names in the film, right? So Junior had uh, Chase Anthony contributing to his face. But if we put that to one side for a second and talk about the body, um, uh, Henry Brogan was the guy who acted with Will Smith. Um, so uh, I'm going to get that right. I'm pretty sure that is. Yep. Uh, no, Henry Brogan is, is – oh, sorry, I want to say That's, that's his character, Will's character yeah. isn't it? Yeah, no, uh, it was Victor, right? Victor Kigo? Anyway, Victor was the acting partner that – and so Henry Brogan was uh, facing off against Junior. Okay, so Victor acts for um, one side of that while they're on uh, location and they're filming and they didn't want – Will Smith to be constantly having to jump between playing Junior and playing himself at his age, right. playing the 20, yeah. And so they did this sort of A, B where he would just do, uh, you know, the Henry character on camera, Victor would kind of be his acting partner and stand in for Junior. Um, and, and, and this is obviously when there's two of them on screen, like it's a bit different when there's just Junior. Yeah. And then um, when they got all that, they went to a mocap stage in Budapest and they reversed it, right? They... They did the uh, whole thing. They mo-capped the performances in reverse. So they now swapped back. So Will Smith is now playing Junior and Victor is now standing in for the 51-year-old uh, Will. Right. And, and anyone else that needed to be there at that point was also there because – and I think this is like a really super, super helpful point that Guy Williams at Weta made, which was apparently Guy said to um, – well, I assume it was Guy, but uh, I guess it could have been uh, uh, one of the other. Um, Bill Westenhoff was the production supervisor. Okay, between them, it was probably Gillen, Guy and Bill said to Ang Lee, you're only going to get as good a performance as the performance that we can get from the actors. And so as a consequence, if you're going to do motion capture, you need to treat it like a shoot. And so therefore... Right you'd get these other actors that normally wouldn't need to be there for mocap because obviously there's no way they're being recorded, they're not being motion captured, um, and yet they would stand in and reprise their roles on that mocap stage so that everybody was actually acting on the mocap stage right. so that when he was giving his uh, performance. And, it, and they did that um, and then they, the whole production uh, did uh, pick-up shots like they went back for you know, extra uh, shoot stuff later and they, they repeated it all so as to be able to get that. Now, Will Smith, when playing um, uh, Junior, is in a mocap suit with dots and stuff on his face. On set, he tended to just be getting uh, like a facial reference rather than getting like he wasn't obviously in a grey suit. Um, mm-hmm. And 
they would generally totally digitally replace uh, the um, the stand-in on the set unless there was some reason why that wasn't required. So, for example, um, if you've got... Um, oh, and the other thing they did, it's just like sort of critically important, they... the the way that they um, did the mocap and the way they did the face sampling, they did it at three stages through the film. And because they were doing it three stages through the film, Will Smith had effectively a beard. Um, let's call it a beard. It was like, you know, whatever you want to call it. Uh, mm-hmm. a, uh, uh, and so they, uh, Ang Lee wanted Junior to not have that because at that early stage of production, they wanted to make sure it was pretty obvious who was who, even if it was a dark scene. So they're capturing Will's face with a beard on, which makes it harder for them to capture uh, Will. But don't forget, in capturing Will, they're only capturing Will's performance so that they can then make a completely perfect digital Will that's still 51 years old. And only when they've nailed that do they then transfer and retarget that down to junior at 23. So there's an entire Will Smith performance done digitally that you never see. Um, but, yeah, so if he's in a costume holding a gun, uh, Will Smith is, of course, in a mocap suit, so he's just literally not wearing the, um, the clothes that would be required right. by the young Will Smith. And they're very insistent on not breaking the face to the body, which is another reason why I just love Weta. They just appreciate so completely that your breathing and your body and your stuff is not a separate thing from your facial performance. Right. And so that makes sense. you kind of... You can't mix the performances and so as a consequence, you can't take what was the reference where Will may have been in, in a, sort of a similar outfit m- most of the time. And this is not like, you know, again, I'm not, I wasn't on the film. But, um, yeah, if you've got Will standing there um, uh, on a motorbike uh, filming mocap for Junior, then he's in a grey suit with dots all over it. Obviously, Junior is in a hoodie with a you know, baseball cap and sunglasses. Mm-hmm. And so uh, there's just no relevance to that. Now, there were sequences where you only had Junior on screen and not Will, and that's a little different because in that case, when he's talking to his father, for example, right, um, mm-hmm. you've really, like like a shot from the neck up and a close-up yeah. kind of thing, you can effectively um, merge in. And I can't tell you in that instance whether or not it was uh, Will's clothes or digital clothes but we're talking right. about, you know, like just a collar kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? Well, so, um, but yeah, in- so I can say, so then, so then to our earlier discussion about fully digital characters and the audience not knowing, I went into this assuming that most of the digital replacement was head or face. And so when I watched the characters, aside from where there's obviously digital doubles, like I said, in action or, you know, certain things... I assumed the body was a real person. And so that makes it that much more successful of a digital character because I didn't even, it was never even a question in those, let's call them quiet, more acting moments that the anything but the head was digital, including when I think there's a scene where he has a shirt off and there's like, you know, musculature, like I think it's from like like mid chest up. And there's like musculature and collarbones and sweat and shoulders. And that to me looked exactly like a, you know, like a filmed human, you know, with, yeah. with, with trickery, you know. And so that, yeah. and at the, and the, the way that the highlights and everything worked at 120 frames, 
you know, you could see an insane amount of detail and there's, there's no judder in the pans. You know, there's, there's a, so much more information, you know, slamming into your face that it's, um, it makes it that much more impressive. Yeah, I mean, obviously, if you've got just a single on Junior, then it was possible to have, you know, like in a dark room, yeah. to have Will in costume and then just do a head replacement on him yeah. for a, yeah. But notwithstanding that, yeah. And that, But I, can I just say, like, if you remember back to one of the Avengers films, uh, like Black Widow was, uh, or the actress was pregnant, um, through like the latter half of the entire film and they body replaced her mm. and like mm-hmm. really no one batted an eyelid. That was it, your classic case of if nobody mentioned it, would you exactly. kind of notice it? And, yeah. and I feel yeah. like that was solved well at that time yeah. and thus we kind of got to a point where you could tick that box. Yep. So for me, the box that we're ticking here was, well, we've already got the clothes, we've got the body. Can we integrate that with a digital head for a fully digital character and kind of pull it off? But you're right. I yeah. was sort of focusing on the head as if it was the only thing digital in the frame. Which is fine because that's the, that makes it even more relevant because you were never distracted by the body at all, which means that it actually works um, better than if you were trying to critique an entire digital performance, you know, t- head to toe for all intents and purposes. Um, I want to point out, though, again, I, I'm the only one who can talk about this, I guess. One of the few things that I do actually enjoy outside of just the sort of technological curiosity of high frame rate is slow motion in high frame rate. <laughs> and because it just... You know, there's nothing looks like that. I mean, what you're at 120 ba- frames base. You're you're obviously you're going to have to shoot like, you know, 800 to a thousand frames a second on a Phantom or something to you know get your multiplier up high enough. The scene, and maybe this is good to just talk about everything in general. The the final scene in the like uh, hardware tool shed kind of yep. whatever. Mm-hmm. That scene, I thought, was incredibly successful, um, especially when the, like, what turned out to be the third Will Smith, uh, you know, character was in that, I thought, pretty super cool suit. And they're shooting him in the air with all the fire around him, and he's, like, charging through the fire. Like, in high frame rate, that sequence was incredibly successful. It was engaging. You were like, holy shit. Like you could see into the darkness. Like you could see so much detail without it being just like, hey, look, you can see. Like it all worked. It was lit appropriately. But you had so much temporal information and the fire, even though a fair bit of it was digital, like the fact it just looked incredible. Like it was really well done. It was a good action sequence. But in the high frame rate, it was like pretty spectacular, I have to say. I think it's cool you mentioned that one too. I mean, I, that was a fun scene visually. I wish I'd seen it in the high frame rate now, just given your description. But um, that other character, that third Will Smith too, when when he does uh, pull the mask off, uh, I think he's also an interesting one in that he's he's even younger, right? So it's yeah. a totally different model. Um, uh, and without emotion. You know, like how do you yeah. animate a character that doesn't have emotion? It's like the antithetical to animation yeah. sort of yeah 
But it, but I thought it was also equally uh, successful as a as a head replacement or a, a digital not head or a face a digital character. Yeah, just just so we don't upset anyone. Just to be super clear, the uh, Will's work. Uh, and Junior's work was all done by Weta. There were a few other visual effects houses that uh, contributed. In particular, the hardware store um, massive bullet fest of uh, stuff was not done by Weta. Like, not they did all the characters, but like when they're crawling across the floor to get out of the way, um, that was done by another company. Scanline did some stuff in there as well. Um, uh, there was uh, somebody else in there as well that did, like there's at least three, I think, companies that did um, Eastside Effects, I think it was, that did some stuff as well. So Weta did all of the, you know, main stuff that we've been talking about up until date, but there were a couple of other companies that did, uh, you know, sections of uh, shots that uh, that required it. Um, I, I don't... I, <laughs> I can't tell you that I witnessed it because I didn't, but I've got to say I literally stopped myself in the cinema and thought, oh, that would have been good to see in high frame rate when it went into the slow motion <laughs> stuff. And it's so funny that yeah. you pulled that up because I was just thinking to myself, man, at like that frame rate at slow, that would have been, yeah, just just, just as a like, oh, we'll have a slow-mo shot here. Oh, hang on a second. Wait a yeah. minute. That's going to be like really hard. <laughs> yeah, we need like a yeah. lot of light. Oh, it's in a dark room. It's in like a super yeah. dark room at night and it has to be a thousand frames a second. Yeah. Uh, hold on a second. Let me, uh, fire. Let's get some fire. You know, like <laughs> where we need some light. Where's the light going to come from? Uh, yeah. No, that was, that was insane. Yeah. So, um, so just in sort of finishing up on stuff like the, um, some of the other stuff that I thought was interesting on this film from a technical point of view, they didn't actually go for a fully, um, uh, a spectral rendering approach. Well, they did in the sense that the spectral renderer was used, um, uh, Manuka, but they didn't do it in the sense that all the scanning and stuff, like at USC and stuff, there was kind of an interesting... Um, I think we're yet to see every tool in the shed used at Weta. Like, I feel like there are a few things that they mm. still sort of weren't quite committing to. Because even though this film was a fairly big budget film, it was not actually, you know, the 200 million, 250 million kind of, uh, number it was like whatever it was 140 million so um mm-hmm. i i'm not even convinced that Weta's, you know i think there's a little bit more left uh in the tank there that they can that they can take it and that's why i kept on saying i think the next avatar films are going to be just uh amazing and and you know we do have is it it's not every it's every two years isn't it avatar 2 is 21 23 is the third oh, avatar God. film 25 is the fourth and 27 is the fifth um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. God, okay. Seven years of seven years of Avatar movies. Oh God. Well, we'll you see. could have said that about. You could have said that about. I mean, you know, I've famously been super wrong on predicting Marvel films. Like they could get a a a tree and a raccoon <laughs> to be interesting. Yeah. There's no way I'm going to enjoy going. Oh to the no, next I mean. It, but is Cameron doing 96 frames? Did he settle on that? Which, or did he just give up high frame rate altogether? I can't remember uh, what he was know. doing for that. Because initially he was going to go the 120, and then he was like, no, 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 I'm going to do 96. And then, and, then I, and then I think that was before he got all the Chinese money, uh, and which got him all the way up to Avatar 7 or whatever it is. Um, Avatar 5 5, Good sorry Lord, man. 
Um, I, I believe that's called a retirement plan. <laughs> well, he doesn't actually make that many films. I no, mean, I, know. Know. I know. I know. I like James Cameron. Uh, it's pretty impressive. I, I, yeah, I'm just, who doesn't? I'm anyway, just to uh, Sheldon, to Bill Westenhofer, to, to, um, to uh, Guy Williams and the entire team at Weta, like, I'm, I just want to underline reinforce, highlight with the yellow marker and and, uh, and completely back up what Matt said earlier, which is I think this is the best digital human uh, face work ever. And uh, mm-hmm. it's just the amount of work that went into this and to make sure that we've hopefully communicated, like, because I think we would all appreciate you didn't, it's not like Weta's got a new thing that they pressed a button on that made this work. This is not like they invented some new algorithm that magically gave them. This is like an incremental, um, you know, they, yeah. they got there like an inch at a time by addressing everything and anything that they could to get it to get going one, one step at a time. This is not some new mathematical Blood, sweat and that solves the problem. But I will say this, as much as that is the case, like I think the other thing that we just have to acknowledge is we're yet to see the deep fake film version of this. In other words, there's going to be another <laughs> yeah. film that comes out that uses completely different technology yeah. um, and does this with a, with a you know, deep learning um, approach. And that may produce results that are in every respect believable. And uh, yeah. we may look on this as being, well, that was one of the high watermarks of, you know, doing it. But who can be bothered to do that these days because machine learning can get us there easier, <laughs> quicker, whatever. I don't know that's true. It, it'd probably be a hybrid solution. I don't think but, it's true. Yeah, it's a, big, it's a mix. But, uh, yeah, we, you know, we really could be suddenly faced with, a, you know, as much as I said, Weta didn't have a new button that they pressed, like the deep fake stuff, which they didn't use. Uh, is that kind of a, you know, one step, uh, completely different approach that could allow some other company, not Weta, to produce spectacularly good results in a fictional guess- and that And we'll bring about the total collapse of society. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My, my guess is the deep fake stuff would be really handy for onset previs, like real time deep fake uh, technology. So, like, you could have Ang Lee watching a scene where that guy, Victor, was getting a real-time deepfake Will Smith face. Um, okay, can, can I say that it wouldn't be Ang Lee, though? Because I, I actually spoke well, to no, Guy but, Williams about this. No, no, but Guy, he, Ang Lee doesn't like it. Ang Lee does not like having on set a split. Oh. Like, Weta had um, their 3D real-time stuff from Gazebo ready to roll. Oh, wow. And you'll even see it in some publicity shots and Ang Lee wouldn't look at it because he was like, I'm concerned with the actor and the performance and I trust that you guys can do it later. And I'm just saying, like, I I think you're right. I think that somebody will do it on set. They just won't do it for Ang Lee. He He didn't do that great a job with the actors and the performances, though. Yeah. Okay. uh, (laughs) That's another another discussion. He should have told someone he needed a whole other, you know, however long on the script, too. But, uh, yeah. You know, that's a... <laughs> um, uh, anyway, we've we've killed that cat. Yeah. Yeah, but but no, but I think it's going to be really interesting to watch how this plays out because we're not we're, we're you know we're going down this path and we've gone incredibly far down it. But uh, if somebody yeah. comes up with a either a hybrid or a effectively a deep fake solution that can get you most of that, um, it'll certainly make f- putting a actor's face on a stunt person. I, I yeah. think that'll become the de facto yeah. um, mm-hmm. kind of solution for that. Um, and then how far do you, you guys, can take it beyond that. 
when when is uh, the Irishman supposed to come out? I have no clue. November. Uh, it, November, yeah. So there are advanced screenings uh, okay. happening. Um, I'm certainly looking forward to seeing it. It's quite long. Um, it's not a short thing, and I'm I'm not. Mm. I'm not I'm not sold yet on the trailer, but then I you know never yeah me neither am, yeah yeah I'm like hmm let me just have a look at that because as I said you know there are some of the uh, but let's see see what happens I don't want to prejudge it yeah but uh, yeah. they've certainly got their work cut out for them in comparison to um, you think those are all like, finals in that trailer the latest trailer see that see that's no. what I'm saying you can't really judge no a trailer way. can you they? They, yeah. they you wouldn't think so because I know that the guys at ILM are super pumped about it right. Like uh, they really are like off privately and behind the scenes, they've been saying that it looks spectacular. So I, hmm. I trust them. Um, but yeah, I, I, the trailer didn't necessarily do it for me. Yeah. I, I want to make a final point just on my, from my point of view. Um, this is something I was talking to a friend last night in the cab on my way back from the theater. Cause I like went all the way from my house in Queens into Manhattan, specifically to upper West side to see it in that one theater. And um, this is more of a, like, a, it's a tangential thing about VR, but one of the things in VR, and this is why I said this earlier about the higher frame rate and needing that, and that being one of the stumbling bo- blocks for people who watch VR content to, to not conflate the terms cinematic with frame rate, because I think that people do that. And I personally don't use the word cinematic when talking about VR because it has too many... Uh, connotations to 24 frames and maybe 235 for some people or other things. It's just a whole, it's a different thing in my mind. So same thing with the high frame rate. And, you know, I have, I've sort of said amongst my peers and other people that the reason that, you know, like narrative VR hasn't really made an impact is because you haven't had a hundred and something million dollar project with, you know, the biggest directors, biggest actors, you know, and like a real Hollywood attempt at trying to create something in VR. Um, And I believe from a technology standpoint and the high frame rate sort of immersion standpoint that this movie is actually that, even though it's not VR, it is the high dollar, big budget, big actor uh, attempt to immerse people in a in a newer medium version of a medium that they are familiar with, um, and similar to what what I did, my brother and I did with on the Doug Lyman project, Invisible, you know, uh, five years ago or four years, whatever it was, four years ago, um, you know, the frame rate was an issue uh, then just, you know, visually to try and get past that and whatever. However, what we all agree on and have spoken about is that the medium itself works in what they're trying to do. The high frame rate, in my case, the digital humans or the, you know, the action or the, the immersive attempt of a, of a digital form. The thing that has consistently failed in all these exercises is the script. And I'm not trying to like, this is, I'm actually being serious here. I'm not trying to like poke fun the way I did no, at the sure. beginning about how crappy it was. But like still no one has taken like a Joker level or a Infinity War level, you know, or even Taxi Driver, you know, some sort of, some sort of really higher 
art form narrative and applied it to this thing. Invisible had a not a good script. This has a not a good script. And so the script begins to inform your visual um, interpretation. So I'm looking at what turns, because of a crappy script and really bad dialogue, the high frame rate immediately feels like bad, you know, soap opera. Even though I shouldn't be equating the 120 frames to a, you know, days of our lives, the, you can't help it because the, 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 the narrative level is at that level. And again, I'm not disparaging soap operas. They have their place. But if you're trying to make a $140 million movie, it's not, it should not be narratively at the level of a, of a hour-long program that's produced every day live. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, no, no, I, t- I totally agree with you. And look, can I just say, like, and this is not a film that our audience would normally go to, but I went and saw Judy, um, the Judy Garland Oh, I really films. want to see yeah. that, yeah. And, and so they just used an actress that looked like Judy Garland. And yeah. the acting was so good and the story was so good and she's going to get an Oscar and she should. Yeah. And, and the thing is they didn't need to deploy this tech. So I think, I think it was maybe right. a combination of your points, but, you know, somebody's going to come up with a really good reason for using this tech in a film exactly. that has the soul of a Judy or a or whatever. Exactly. And, and we're going to go, oh, my God, that is, that is such That's beautiful it. acting. Yeah. I can't believe. Mm-hmm. Wait, what? <laughs> that wasn't... You're kidding me, yeah. right? Um, yeah. Yeah. And That's what I'm I waiting for. I didn't know for. Judy Garland like that well. I mean, I obviously knew her, but I didn't know her that well that I was yeah. like constantly saying, oh, well, that's not Judy Garland. Um, so that film totally didn't need it. It was really stood on its own. Yeah. But that had pathos. It had uh, mm-hmm. moving moments. It had like just real gravitas because of the fact that it was a true story. And I totally agree, yeah. We, we need to be making those films with visual effects and... Uh, and not just selling the film just on the visual effects and the hope that, that sort of glosses over. I mean, over. I think, I think a monster calls would be probably the closest we've come to like a emotional, sort of independent film with visual effects that are in the, in that case not hidden, but those visual effects push the story along, and that's but that it was really an art house movie, really. If like if you took I the mean, visual effects so out of it, like. I, I mean, I still think like Black Swan, you know, you could. Oh, sure. No, yep. of course. Yeah, so. absolutely. 100%. Yeah, that's a good example. Yeah. Hey, guys, we have to, uh, to finish up. Um, but, okay. uh, Matt, where can people track you down if they want to uh, say hi? Yeah, you can always find me at uh, Virginia Commonwealth University in the School of the Arts in Richmond, Virginia, and at my website, mattwallen.com. And uh, when we're not abusing uh, people who don't like their duplicate uh, and when you're hanging out with your duplicate, Jason, where are the Diamond Bros? Thediamondbros.com, superspherevr.com. My name, Jason Diamond, on all the social, social whatevers. Uh, And, of course, uh, you'll find me, uh, Mike Seymour, both on... uh, uh, FX Guide, Instagram, and uh, generally around the internets. But look, in the words of uh, Henry Brogan to Junior, hey, we really have to end this now. See you guys. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at vfx at fxguide.com. Copyright FX Guide, LLC.